welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. I'm Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with the preacher of the pulpit this week, Pastor Evan. Hello there. All right. Hey, at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And so that means everything we do, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we are in a uh, continued series of The King Has Come, and this week's sermon was True Worship Part 2. Part 2. Part 2, from Matthew 2, uh, starting in verse 7 through verse 12, and so I'll read that to you guys. So it's not a trilogy? It's not a trilogy, it's a duality. Ooh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Matthew 2, starting in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, Pastor Evan, uh, well done in your sermon today. Uh, What, in way of the point of the sermon, would you have us focus on as we begin talking through the sermon this week? Well, the main point was this, that the unfolding of God's redemptive plan through Christ needs to motivate us, you and I, toward proper worship of Him. And for the wise men, it's, I kind of wish I was there. They got to see the next step of God's plan come to fruition with the birth of the Messiah. And so they got to see God's unfolding plan through this child, who is Jesus, and it motivated them to properly worship him. And we see the counterpoint to Herod, who heard about the culmination, the, the, not the culmination, but the progression of God's redemptive plan through this child born in Bethlehem about two years ago, as he ascertained. But he, it didn't motivate him towards proper worship because he was focused on himself. And when we talk about improper worship or false worship, I don't know if you said this, but you did say... Uh, you were talking around it, and so I wrote something out. Uh, really, so false worship is deceptive in nature, which, of course, we know that. That's a, that's a common—I mean, that's just—that's a fact, right? False worship has to be deceptive because it's not true. But if you think about even applying that to our own lives, how do we give false worship uh, in that, it, that we deceive others by— the way that we give false worship, because we're not genuinely worshiping, but we want people to think that we're being genuine worshipers. What are some ways that we can be deceptive in our own worship uh, on a regular week? Well, you said it right there. It's really, it's the motive of what of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing of what you're doing? Why are you dressing the way for Sunday service? Why are you taking notes? Why are you singing songs? Why are you giving? You coming to life group? Why are you going to life? Perce- for, for the perception of you want people to think you're why, worshiping? Why even you, you know, leading your kids in worship at right. home? Why are you even uh, studying the, God's word at home by yourself every mm-hmm. single day? It's the motive. Are you trying to exalt and understand who God is and Christ is and to follow his direction? Or are you just really trying to exalt yourself? Because when we look at verse 7, think of, look at verse 7 completely out of context, which is not something we usually ask you guys to do. <gasps> <laughs> but read it. Okay, pretend like you haven't heard the sermon. Uh, 
listen to Herod, verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men and secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said with great joy, go search diligently for the child so that when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. That sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds great. And he's trying to present a way that say, hey, I, I wanted to worship God ju- just like you. Yeah. Now his, and I mentioned this in the sermon about how you know he is an example of what we could become. Now he was used by God. His evil was used by God for ultimate good sure. to, to glorify God by thwarting an evil king. But the fact is that we as Christians have understand we can become more like Herod a lot faster than we anticipate, mainly because of the motive of our worship. Our worship. Right. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we want the things that we want? Like for example, Sunday service, for example, why do you want certain songs to be played? Mm. Why do you want, why do you wish more other types of songs could be played during mm-hmm. the song? Uh, why do you want us to talk about giving in a certain way? Or why do you want our sermons to go such a way? And maybe the transitions or the um, order of things could be rearranged. Are you doing it to try to exalt Christ or are you doing it because you're trying to say, this is how I feel like I can worship better? And even just think about it in that way on Sunday. Think about it everything you do, even the things we were trying to help you guys see that everything in your week should be worshipful. But at least think about the things that you know ought to be worship, whether it's your quiet time, your prayer time, the worship that we do together corporately in song and in the teaching of God's word through giving the fellowship we have afterwards, do you find yourself in all of those areas doing the status quo, but in your heart and in your mind uh, having objections and and wanting it to be different to fit what you want versus fitting what is going on and being a part of that with joy and gratitude? Or are we deceptive because from the outside we look like we're participating, but on the inside we seem to be objecting uh, and, and, and doing things not with a joyful heart, but begrudgingly or, or just to keep the status quo. And really what that is, is it's, that is feelings-based worship. Now, we can always take on more of the Pentecostal side of things where it's, it seems like much you're driving towards to feel the song, feel the sermon. That's, what I'll find, that's where I'll find the truth. But even in what Pastor Hayden is describing, you're searching for a feeling of what proper worship should look like instead of asking the questions and taking from the book Gospel Treason, which, you know, by please, that's going to be a, such a... Um, helpful and edifying book in your life. But a lot of it is it's focusing off yourself and onto God saying, God, how can I please you? How can in the service, can I please you versus having them please me? Mm. How can I live a command or, you know, commandment oriented life instead of just saying, how can I, what, what, how should I feel today? And when we say like commandment oriented life, we don't want you to think that this is some legalistic adventure to some kind of higher living. What we're saying is there, the, the commands have never been abolished. The commands have been fulfilled in Christ, uh, and he still calls us to abide by his word. And what is his word? Truth, commandments. And think about his commandments. The Bible says they're not burdensome. Okay, like what? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Okay, yeah, that sounds like good to obey. Okay. Uh, wives, respect your husbands. Okay, that, that sounds good too. Don't first, murder. First Thessalonians 5, when it says encourage one another. Encourage one another. See, these commandments are good. It's not, you, you have to remove the real, you know, ritualistic commandments that may be from the Roman Catholic Church or the Christian you know, heresies that come up or even or, just other world religions. Or it, the society's uh, disdain 
for obedience or authority or right? the uh, yeah because that's is. really the, the, the one of the biggest problems yeah yeah of course we have a lot of false religions a lot of things out there that that don't line up with God's word but we also live in this culture where it's like I don't want to I don't want to listen to commands I, I don't want authority I don't want leadership I don't I don't want to deal with these because things. the reason why is because we want to indulge in mm-hmm. what we want rather than starve what is bad for us which is false worship which is your point number one. We need to demolish all of your false worship. So when we start with what we've always just said, we've talked about all these kinds of false worship. Now we can start dismantling those things by asking the question that you asked, which I loved, am I trying to build myself up or am I trying to build Christ up and elevate him? How would you? What would you add to that? Or at least uh, what would you uh, help us in way of application? Well, again, taken from the, the book Gospel Treason, there's two quick things that we need to do that can help is to realize compass as is, is, it is it's so it's such a wonderful time to be able to fellowship with another i just truly enjoy every sunday i enjoy mm. a life group i love you know going to birthday parties and hanging out with you guys almost every day of the week mm. you know but we can't forget and neglect the fact that we are at war we are at war with Satan and his schemes and his the temptation and sins. And so in order for us to really demolish, we need to be to take on a wartime mentality through the power and trust in Christ. Mm-hmm. I'll refer you back to my message. And also for the fact that we have a tough choice to make to say, I need to starve my idols. It's going to take time. It's going to be painful. But in the end, it's going to be good. If you know, I want to lose weight and I need to cut out the candy in my life, my body's going to want that candy and tempt me to have that candy and, and make my body say, eat the candy. But I'm going to mm-hmm. say no because I'm starving it out so it becomes weak and has no more power over me. And so making choices to starve our idols and I refer back to my servant for the application of how to do both of those. I love when you brought up First John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because we often talk about killing idols in your life and you know, we're, we're not often accused of being legalistic or, uh, you know, being so too hard in, in, in an area. But all we're doing is saying, hey, that's what the Bible says. I love First John's talking about children, which is a uh, which is a title given to Christians from a from, from John's uh, works and his writings in the, in the scripture. Every time he says little children, he's talking about believers. And so we're not saying, hey, you know, you got to keep yourself from idols, do this, don't do this for just general people. No, we're talking about Christians. Christians have to keep themselves from idols. We're not just talking about pagans and non-Christians here. We're talking about believers. And so we have to make sure to, to demolish our idols. We also need to understand that we have to stay away from them. We can't even have them near us. So it's okay to starve yourself. There's nothing anti-Christian or anti-biblical about starving idols because scripture bears witness to say the exact thing. Keep yourself from them. It's, it actually is something that you participate in. Keep that in mind. All right. We also, I mean, so much here, right? I love when you said tether your feelings to God's word. Uh, and I, I'd like to, for you to know that here from both of your pastors. Feelings are not in and of themselves a bad thing. You even said that in the 9, maybe you said it in the 11 as well. Feelings aren't a bad thing. What matters is what is propelling our feelings. What is the motivation to our feelings? Is it us, which would be false worship? Or is it God, which would be true worship? You don't think the wise men had feelings when they bowed down to Christ? You don't think God has feelings? Yeah, God Yeah, you don't think God, God has feelings? God has feelings. We're yeah. created in His emotion. image. That's why feelings are good, yeah. but they can be so twisted so easily, just like right. items of worship. And I love this. Uh, let's just go in, and we can't know because we weren't there. But imagine the wise men as they were traversing across a desert to get to where they were going. Do you think there was a time they were tired? 
Yes. Yep. So they felt tired. That was a feeling they were having. Okay. Now they could tether that feeling to their own desire to please themselves, which would be in way of complaining, turning back, uh, not fulfilling the will of God in their life in that moment. Or they could tether their feeling to God and his word and his promise, which they did because that's why they were there. And they could say, we're doing this for a reason. We're doing this for a purpose. God's got a great plan in this situation and I'm going to go after it. And I'm tethering my feeling of even my tiredness, which isn't necessarily a positive feeling for a lot of people. I can still tether it to true, genuine worship. And so all of my emotions right, can be good when they are tethered to the word of God. Now, I may all, I mean, maybe don't parse me. Maybe there are some that you shouldn't have, but even anger, like in scripture, there is a way for that to even happen. God says, be angry and do, do not, not sin. sin. Right. And we should have indignation towards sin. And so anyway, all of those things tethered to God's word can be good. And so I love that because so many problems in our life comes with our feelings being tethered to our own, our own false worship of ourselves and things around us. I love when you were talking about that. All right, gratification, uh, having gratification, I love point number two, uh, when it comes to proper worship. I love that because we, we, we want you guys as pastors here to see that we love the idea that you ought to be have, find gratification in true and proper worship. Uh, Pastor Evan, you gave us some uh, scripture references there. What would you have us look to when it comes to the gratification we should have with proper worship? Well, it comes down to uh, it's first understanding who Christ is and understanding who we are, and maybe a good passage on who's who is Christ, who where who where was he was before he was humbled. Where was he was? Where was That's he theological. was? Theological. There we go. Where what, you know, what was he like before he humbled himself? You can read Daniel seven thirteen to fourteen. You can read the Gospels to see you know God humbling himself for the sake of sinners, and then you can read Revelation nineteen to talk about this is the conquering King that these people realize it was coming. Now. That can drive us to gratification. Now, what does that look like? And that's it's hard because gratification is a feeling, but what does it look like? Psalm 84, all of Psalm 84 actually is going to be a great read for you to do this week because it's going to show you what it looks like when someone is just is satisfying, finding pleasure in the thing that they were created to do, which is to worship God and to enjoy Him. And so Psalm 84 which is a great psalm to read through this week. And so I refer back to my sermon about that. And, and before we, we move on from there, we talked to our life group leaders in their podcast about this. Right? When we talk about uh, who Christ was at his birth, right? we talk about him being an infant and him being lowly and gentle and, and him being uh, a babe, right? very fragile. Right? Why that's significant to us because of who he is. And that's what we were talking about. If you want to ha have proper worship and have gratification and proper worship, you have to know who Christ really is. Because the reason that we think it's so remarkable that Jesus was a baby and he was completely and utterly uh, in need of everything to survive as an infant, the reason we find that so grand is because of who he really is. When we look at things like Daniel 7 and when we look at Revelation, uh, and we, we understand who he really, really was because, uh, you know, Titus, I mean, he's seven years old, my son. and Theodore, Seven years old? Did I say seven years? Yeah. It's been so long over the past week. Seven, he's seven days old. That's what I mean. And then Theodore, who's uh, what, two? Almost two years almost old. Almost two years old. Think about that. If you want to see what Jesus may have looked like when the wise men, just look at my son did running around just, playing did, the rocks. Did you just say Theodore is like Jesus? <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, his name means God's gift. Oh, okay. But the point about being that is when we look at Theodore, and we look at Titus, there isn't anything remarkable about them. They're just little boys. They're just babies. And so 
the reason that we are re, we we have remarkable thoughts and ideas about Jesus is not because he was a baby. It's because of who he was and that he became a baby, right? He became like us. That's why, and we got to be careful uh, because in our culture, in our world, we want to try to make Jesus look as much like us as possible. And the beauty about the fact that Jesus did look like us and came in the likeness of flesh isn't because he was a man, but because he was God. That's what makes this remarkable. And so when we understand who we're worshiping, we're worshiping the God of Daniel 7 and the God of Revelation and the God that shows that Jesus is the great I am. He is God in a bod, right? That's what we hear, God in a bod. And that's why we can say, hey, it's remarkable that he was a baby. It was remarkable that the wise men saw that and knew that, and they worshiped him not because he was a toddler, but because he was God manifest in the flesh. And like I said in the sermon, this is how and this will help us and motivate us and feel us to have humble worship, exalting worship, a joyful worship, and prepared worship. And, and that does bring us and kind of talks about point number three. Let God's supremacy propel your obedience, right? That's why exactly what you're saying, like the supremacy of God ought to propel your obedience. Why? Because of who he is, not that he was a baby, because of what him being a baby represented for mankind. And so uh, I see you had Psalm 86. Obviously, we were talking about that, but even Psalm 2130, I liked when you brought that up. Right? No counsel can avail against the Lord, particularly in the way that the false worship of Herod wanted to deceive the wise men, but God was uh, sovereign over that. He's like a nice try, buddy. He's a nice try, yeah. You'd got away with this, too, if it wasn't for that those meddling wise men. Wise men. <laughs> and that star. Sorry. That's um, a Scooby-Doo reference That right is there. a Scooby-Doo. I loved uh, when you also said at the beginning of your sermon, but I have it at the end of my notes, if we're chasing our feelings, we're chasing ourselves. Right, is that? I think that's what you said. Either that, that's or my mind imagined <laughs> that you said. That. I think it was a good translation yeah, of what it's. We're go. chasing our feelings. We're chasing ourselves, yeah. and then that's why I love Psalm eighty six, especially verse eleven. After understanding who God is, David's you know, motive, you know, David's action. He's like, I have to do this, is to say, teach me, God, your way, hmm. that I may walk in your truth. And for these wise men, that warning. I love the fact when I realized that Greek word, what it was. I'm like, oh. That's why there's no angel mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's why God's not even mentioned because it's already God's mentioned in that word warning. It's a divine mm -hmm. warning and say, okay, yeah, I see how powerful you are, God, that you thwarted the, the second most powerful king in the uh, person in Israel, out, you know, Herod being number two, the emperor being number one, mm -hmm. he thwarted him with a dream. Mm -hmm. Which I love that because to, uh, to a Jew at that time, they did thwart Rome. Because they try to fight him all the time. Well, Herod was Rome to the Jews. Yes, and so it's like, hey, he's already he's already sovereign and over the the Roman Empire that was taking over. I love that, right? That's and so the idea is like this is the powerful God that we have, and mm -hmm. so this will help us drive into. And there's there's a reason why I chose obedience over worship. Encompass. You need to understand this. Obedience is worship. Mm -hmm. Because it's doing what God calls us to do for what reason? So we can exalt God's image. And so when we do what he commanded, what we're doing is that we're displaying his character for the world to see. And so that is why obedience is worship, because we're, we're exalting God and his glory and his name, his reputation and who he is. And so that's why we want to quickly obey. That's why we want to you know, obey regardless of the sacrifices or the cost and obeying. Know that God is going to use it for his glory. And I love that fact that God didn't need to use the wise men to protect Jesus, but he decided to show us, say, hey, I want to use these people to further my plan that I want to have the wise men obey me, take the long way around. 
so that the, this child can grow up to live a perfect life, to die a death, and to defeat death, because that is my plan. Mm. And I love the fact that obedience is a part of worship, but as we understand who God is and the supremacy of him, that should drive us, as it did you know, David the psalmist, as it did the wise men, to greater and further obedience, not, again, for any type of merit, but to say, God, I want to glorify you all the way. Teach me your ways so I may walk in your truth. I don't know people who genuinely love God for who he is that think that obedience isn't, number one, isn't worship or isn't a pleasurable part of being a Christian. I think all of us who have seen the errors of our ways strive to obey God because we know the beauty and the congruency of his ways when it comes to living a kind of life that is uh, hopeful and full of promise. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and we just, again, it's like obedience is such a good word. I mean, don't you want your kids to be obedient to you? I mean, you, it's just like, just think about that. I mean, will you want your children to obey you because it's good for them and it's good for you as a parent. Well, it's good for God because it gives him glory and it's good for you as a child to obey the Lord. And that is, and it is part of worship. All right. As we jump into our application questions, any particular place you'd have us place our focus? Oh, no, Pastor Hayden, you, you really enjoyed question number four. Mm-hmm. Why question number four for our people? Yeah, I like the point and how it makes us uh, think about preparing for worship. It, it, we aren't pa- Worship isn't passive, right? Which, again, I, that's why we continually, especially in our corporate setting, we ask you guys, not because it's what we want, but because we, we believe it's put forth in Scripture, that you are a participant in worship, like you are not a spectator because we we ought to prepare worship for God. And so when we sing, it's not listening to song. It's participating in the songs because we are giving worship and ascribing worship and glory to the Lord. It's the same reason we talk about giving in the same way that you like expository preaching. Your pastors and the Lord like expository listening. And that means, which is another book in the bookstore, if you want to grab that off the shelf, expository listening. Uh, but the point of the matter is we ought to prepare for worship. It's not something that we just fall into. As a matter of fact, what we often fall into is improper worship. We actually have to prepare to fall into true worship. And again, if you're trying to just go with the flow, that really means you're just chasing after feelings hmm. rather than... Yeah, what is the flow? I've yet to discover You it. see there... <laughs> Anyway, I, I was reading on a lot of things like, whatever, Let, let's not even bring it right. up. Well, uh, well uh, Compass, <laughs> I would love for you to read question number five. Make sure you get to that. What is question number five? I don't see it on here. What is it? Question number five is, how do these verses help you to persevere in Christ-likeness when it seems like the wickedness of our culture is currently winning? I don't see it. Oh. Well, that's a question number five that you needs to have, have happen. But if you don't have, it, uh, have that, well, Compass, just remember the supremacy of Christ. Even though when it seems like the wickedness of culture is prevailing, remember the supremacy of God and let, let it drive you to obey him further. All right. So we are now at our DBR spotlight. spotlight. All right. You guys have read a little bit in Ezekiel already, but you are going to be this week in Ezekiel 1 through 24. And because we've talked about Ezekiel, at least in its historical context already through our genealogy, I would just encourage you guys uh, to go back to uh, those sermons if you want to know more uh, in depth, but you're going to read. And really, you need to go back to the historical context of Jehoiachin, which is when you have Ezekiel 
and he was taken into exile as part of the second Babylonian deportation in 597. So that puts you in your uh, your historical reference to know when this prophet was prophesying. And so this is important because you remember that in 597, uh, Judah had not yet been destroyed, right? It's 597. We still have a few years before the destruction of Judah. And so that frames the entire book of Ezekiel because the first 24 chapters, particularly what you're going to be reading this week, is all about the looming judgment of Judah and Jerusalem. And so what we need to see is Ezekiel is framed around three different visions, and you will read the second or the first two uh, in your DBR this week. And there's going to be a lot of references, a lot of imagery. He's going to be doing a lot of like real life uh, parables uh, to show uh, Judah, even as he's in exile in Babylon at the moment, he is showing people what is to come uh, when it comes to the destruction of Judah uh, and people will not listen. And that's what God says even in uh, when we're reading through Ezekiel. Uh, but he says, you still are going to be my mouthpiece. As a matter of fact, he gives he, he gives him the name of a watchman. You're the watchman, and you are going to go. Uh, and even though my people are rebelling against me, uh, they and their fathers have transgressed, as we look at Ezekiel 2, I send you to them, and you shall say, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, which is what they do, they will know that a prophet has been among them, and you, son of man, which is the uh, number one name for Ezekiel in the, the book of Ezekiel, dozens and dozens of time. Uh, God is focusing on the humanity of Ezekiel uh, uh, throughout this uh, book of prophecy. And so he calls him son of man, son of man, son of man, and how God, being the God of the universe, uses him to as a mouthpiece to uh, warn uh, Judah of the coming destruction that they are about to receive because of their idol worship. Because of their immorality, which I love, even Ezekiel talks about, their immorality was worse than the nations around them, which is completely uh, antithetical to being a people of God. Being a people of God, they were supposed to be set apart. But not only are they idol idol worshipers and, and sinners, they were worse than the pagan countries around them. And God said, I'm a just God, and I will not have this happen in the midst of my people or my presence. And so he says, Be not afraid of them, of their words, uh, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. And so you see that through the first few chapters. You actually see a great uh, throne room representation of, of God sitting on his throne, uh, enthroned upon cherubim uh, in his really like his holy chariot. And, and this is when he gets called uh, to be that mouthpiece. So you see that vision uh, and then you keep going down through the scriptures. But the, the point you need to get out of Ezekiel is simply this, that God is condemning Judah for their great sin and their debauchery and their idolatry. And he continually over and over again shows them in different ways how his judgment is looming. And so that's what you'll be looking at over the uh, the next week in the book of Ezekiel. Pastor, have anything you would add to that? This is going to be a great book as you guys read it. And this is going to be something that you're going to look forward to seeing where uh, Ezekiel, the Valley of the Dry Bones, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to see what's coming. 
with the Spirit of God coming, with the Spirit of God coming to the believer, and also the future temple that mm-hmm. we're going to witness in the millennial kingdom. So In the next couple of weeks. And remember, I, I want to not give you too much content here because I want you to think simply this. You're about to see a lot of imagery, and you're about to see a lot of, especially this week. Well, let's not talk about next week yet. We're talking about this week. Uh, you're going to see uh, Ezekiel not only telling uh, Judah what's about to happen, but showing him by doing a lot of weird things. Laying on his side. Right, he's been laying on his side for 390 days, and which is the same amount of time they were in the wilderness. Uh, and then he's got to do it on the other side. And I, and I don't want to get into that particularly because what you need to see is you need to frame that in reference to God is showing them the looming judgment. That's, that's really what's happening here. So as you read it, think looming judgment. Think about God's justice on, on, on sin and on uh, on Judah. So just think about that over and over again as you're eating or as you're eating. As, you're, eat, as you're eating God's <laughs> as word. As you're eating God's word, like Ezekiel had. Like Eze- yeah. So with and with Ezekiel, what's going to be helpful to remember is that even like the sermon, you're going to see a lot of false worship and true mm-hmm. worship. And where in the very beginning, you see the presence of God leave the temple because he's like, nope, this is not my people. And mm-hmm. I'll be back. But just to make sure things clear, they're saying they're my people, but they're not. Their right. lips are saying that they are, but their hearts are far from me. Right, and it might be good for you to note that Ezekiel was uh, a prophet, but he was also the priestly line. Yep, and the begins the book begins when he be, would have been a thirty priest, years old. Thirty years old. Yep, like who? He like Jesus uh, in his earthly ministry. Uh, but the point about that is, you're going to see Ezekiel. He he cares a lot about holiness, and he cares a lot about worship. And so you're going to see that as an explicit feature of Ezekiel as people aren't worshiping God. Uh, And all of this leads us to understanding the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so don't lose sight of that. Uh, Just because this dispensation uh, isn't uh, of of the gospel yet, it's leading to that. It's leading to this need of saying nobody can fulfill the commands and nobody seeks after God. No, not one. And so as we see Ezekiel, we also see a God of hope who is bringing his promise to fulfillment as we see a future temple and a future reality of God's promises being fulfilled through the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus Christ. So be reading through Ezekiel, and you're also going to be in Hebrews for most of this week in the New Testament, which is great because it's a lot of Old Testament imagery. So the better you know the prophets and the better you know your Old Testament, the better you're going to be reading through Hebrews in the New Testament as well. Anything to add to that? We got some announcements. We do have some announcements. Guys, you just saw the flyer that we handed out this week of Christmas at Compass. So many things there. Be evangelistic, right? Be uh, be outreach-oriented with those flyers, with those events. We're doing all those things to ascribe glory to God, to give people opportunities to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so spend time praying and thinking about who you're going to invite to Christmas at Compass. And uh, make a point to not only prioritize attendance for these, but also not coming alone. Never come to church alone. And, and that should be something that we say more. Never come to church alone. Always come with someone in tow uh, because God could be using you as the conduit and the means of their salvation when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so many things going on. We want you to go online at compasshillcountry.org for more information on all of our events. But until then, we look forward to you and your life groups. We look forward to you diving into God's Word and look forward to seeing you next week.